This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is COVID Conspiracies. I'm your host, Monique Baudin. There's no question that the COVID-19 pandemic has imposed an enormous cost on, well, everyone. Lost lives, lost jobs, delayed schooling, stress, and anxiety. Some people think there's another cost too, the cost of COVID conspiracies. It's almost like a second virus, infecting people's minds instead of their bodies. And the cost to humanity is going up, as conspiracies like anti-vaccination campaigns just prolong the pandemic. Today, Phil Tank of the Saskatoon Star Phoenix takes a closer look at what COVID conspiracies are costing us. Conspiracy theories have existed for a long time, but there seems to be little tangible harm or cost to believing Elvis is still alive or that aliens live among us. Conspiracy theories and misinformation during a pandemic are different. Some costs can be difficult to determine, like the degree misinformation spawned from conspiracy theories contributes to illness and death. Other costs can be easily identified. The rise of information that has created vaccine hesitancy has been pinpointed as a big problem. The federal government is spending $64 million to fight COVID-19 misinformation and encourage people to get vaccinated. Dr. Joy Hatley has worked as a family physician in Kingston, Ontario for 20 years. Hatley has been involved in the local COVID assessment center and has become a voice in the campaign to fight misinformation. For Hatley, that means tackling misinformation directly by doing interviews with traditional news sources. She's used social media to try to counter misinformation where it spreads most easily. She's also teamed with other doctors to address specific misinformation. So I'm not always sure of the motivation, but whatever the case, it is confusing for people who are undecided. So people who are considering conspiracy theories as to whether or not they're true. And, you know, the messaging through the pandemic for the general population has been somewhat confusing. The fact that they're seeing science evolve right before their eyes has been unnerving for the population. And they haven't understood all the time. And I think the population is coming to understand it now. I think in the early days, the population felt that we as scientists should already know what this virus would do, what its behavior would be, and then how we should respond. But in actual fact, we could only extrapolate from other viruses and hope that we were uh, assuming the behaviors correctly. And as we went, we learned that some of what we assumed about the behavior of this virus was true and some was not. So we've had to pivot constantly through this pandemic. Hatley confirms a connection between misinformation and people's behavior. She says contradictory messages have led to confusion. 
She points to rallies and protests that have showcased people defying public health restrictions. These rallies and marches are fueled by misinformation generated by conspiracy theories. They feature few people wearing masks and little social distancing. Sometimes these events draw large numbers. All of these aspects contravene the medical advice, and for some of the people there, that's the point. They're confusing for others around them, and they're hard on the people who are working to protect our population. So there are politicians and scientists working hard to find the right balance, and you're never going to find it 100%. You know, you want to do the best you can. And, and they're working honestly and earnestly, and then to get this sort of mixed messaging and negative feedback from large groups of conspiracy theorists is taxing, you know, and it takes away one, one's energy. And similarly, in the medical community, we hear all sorts of anti-vax repertoire. So, you know, if you look at Ottawa, they have now reported that only 58% of their workers in long-term care homes have actually accepted the vaccine and they've all been offered because they were considered to work with the highest risk population. So they were the first people in Ontario to get the vaccine, but only 58% of them took the vaccine. You have to ask why that is. Most of them are healthcare workers. Many of them are healthcare workers. Some of them are dietary aides and, and cleaners, etc. They're frontline workers, but not necessarily healthcare workers. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why are people more willing to take their chances with the coronavirus, with COVID, than with a vaccine? When scientists have reassured the population time and time again that these vaccines have gone through rigorous process and that they are as safe as we can make vaccines and in fact felt to be safer by the scientific community than taking your chances with the virus. So when we think about these things, we can see that conspiracy theory touted on social media, publicly at private meetings is affecting people's behavior. The anti-vax movement is closely tied to many of the same groups who tout conspiracy theory that is very specific to COVID. So the anti-vax movement isn't specific to COVID, but they certainly have taken up the COVID cause as well. Hatley says you can easily see how the confusion sowed leads to risky behavior. If you believe the common falsehood that COVID-19 is no worse than the flu, you may feel a change in behavior is unnecessary. If you think the vaccines are unsafe, you may be inclined to pass and take your chances with the virus. But Hatley says Canada's healthcare system lacks the capacity to deal with COVID-19 patients. The number of hospital beds in Canada trails the average among OECD countries by nearly half. We have a church in Kingston who, when Toronto was in lockdown and we weren't, actually went on social media, I, I took a photo, and invited Toronto citizens to drive out to Kingston for Sunday morning to join the worship service. Well, what doesn't make sense about that? Like, if Toronto is in lockdown, it means that their citizens in a high proportion are suffering from the virus and could easily carry the virus to another community. And you know, the result was predictably within the next two weeks, 50 plus churchgoers in their community 
developed COVID. And I myself saw many of them at the COVID assessment center as they came in, you know, heads hanging a little low because they know they had now posed a risk to our entire community. Now, why you ask yourself, would a church in our community put us all at that risk? And it's because there's an element of it, particularly in the religious right community, that COVID's overblown. It's just not really that bad. I've heard churchgoers say, you know, it's like chicken pox. You should have a party and just let the virus run through our population and develop immunity. The problem with that is that would completely overwhelm our healthcare system, which wasn't doing well before COVID. By example, uh, if you look at the OECD countries, we have 2.6 beds per, per thousand citizens, acute care beds in hospital. And the average in the OECD countries is 4.7. So we don't have the capacity in our hospitals to have a lot of sick people at once. That's not the way we've structured our healthcare system. And we can talk all day about whether that was right or wrong, but you cannot, in a matter of a few months, whip up adequate acute care facilities to allow a virus to rip unchecked through your population. You just can't. Because then people who break their legs, get appendicitis, have a stroke, have a heart attack, you know, go into an asthma attack, we have no place to care for them. And then they come to hospital filled with COVID and it always poses some risk, no matter how much precaution you take. If your hospital is filled with people with COVID, everyone that comes to that facility is at a certain amount of risk. So to allow a virus to rip unchecked through our population is just not going to be a solution. Watching the cost of misinformation prompted Hatley to put herself out there to set the record straight. She's engaged with Ontario MPP Randy Hillier, who has become a leading figure in the opposition to public health restrictions. Hatley spars with Hillier on Twitter and wrote an open letter with other physicians in December. She sees the voices of medical professionals like herself as crucial in the fight against misinformation. Most physicians just want to take care of patients. But some of us have to do this work because it affects how we fare in this pandemic. If people understand that we have an ongoing need to protect ourselves through hand washing, masking, distancing, staying home, vaccination, and when all of that fails us, for whatever reason, then we need to lock down. Lockdown is undesirable. It has measurable harms. None of us want to lock down. And I find it ironic that the rhetoric of those who push conspiracy theory and who refuse to comply with public health measures are the exact people who are pushing us into lockdown, yet they are anti-lockdown in their rhetoric. Hatley makes a direct connection between misinformation and behavior and harm. But that harm can extend beyond those who behave in risky ways. Bad choices by people based on misinformation can be deadly in a pandemic. She connects low death rates to compliance with public health restrictions. And she cites one case where a more contagious COVID-19 variant proved deadly for someone who did not even attend a college party where the virus spread. If you don't get your vaccine and you get the virus, there's a chance you get taken out. But, you know, relatively few people are dying of this virus with the precautions that we're taking now, I think it would be much worse in the States as an example. And, and there, that's even with precautions. Like there's lots of public health measures being adhered to in the States, right? 
but maybe less so than some other countries. We are seeing increased deaths there. We would have more deaths in Canada if we had less compliance and less action taken by our leaders. So relatively few people have died. Now, we're not sure about the variants yet, right? B117, we actually think is not only more contagious, but we think it's more lethal. So in Fleming College in Peterborough, Ontario, we had the students have a party and somebody brought B117 to the party and several of them contracted it. And we actually saw the death of a 20-something-year-old student who didn't even go to the party. Now, that's concerning, isn't it? So we have people who think it's just actually not that bad. We're sick of it. We're going to have a party. Go have a party. Then go back into their community, wherever it was. I'm not sure how this individual contracted the virus. But then someone died. Someone died who hadn't even made the choice to go to the party. Very sad. Very concerning. Conspiracy theories or misinformation can carry all sorts of costs. That includes costs for those who share the questionable material. Just ask Daryl Cooper. Cooper had been campaigning for a year as a candidate for the Saskatchewan party in a Saskatoon riding. Then, a social media post Cooper wrote about the origins of the coronavirus became public during the October election campaign. Cooper says he was only sharing other people's theories and trying to be funny. It also emerged that Cooper had interacted with people sharing QAnon theories. Cooper paid a big political price. He stepped aside amid the controversy. So the price I paid was enormous. I mean, it, it took it it, it, it. it. I was in a state of shock for about a month, and uh, I think uh, from uh, from the short term perspective, it was it was quite heavy. Um, I was I was really looking forward to representing the province. I, uh, it was a great way to for this next chapter of my life to uh, serve the people of Saskatchewan as a. Uh, you know, 59, 60 year old person that's lived here his whole life and uh, spent 38 years in business. Not many politicians do that, you know. There are not many rookie politicians have that background that I have. Uh, also a background in agriculture. So I, I, I thought, you know, I had a lot to offer. And I do have a lot to offer. <laughs> I didn't think. I, I do, I did. And, uh, and that's not trying to be cocky. I just was excited about doing it. So in the short term, it cost me um, a lot. Uh, there was a bit of a stigma around it, I guess. Uh, I lost some friends, uh, some people, you know, I had lots of phone calls from weirdos, uh, people that were didn't even identify themselves, you know. Uh, not lots, I had a few. And uh, friends that unfriended me on Facebook. Cooper says he made new friends due to the controversy, and he has moved on from the collapse of his candidacy. Cooper now blogs about the pandemic. That includes sharing information that many would consider questionable and misleading. But he admits he will be forever seen by some as a conspiracy guy. Amarnath Amarasingam is an assistant professor at Queen's University. He specializes in extremism, terrorism, and social polarization. He has interviewed hundreds of religious extremists, members of the far right, and conspiracy theorists. But more dangerous conspiracy theories like QAnon and the related COVID conspiracies can have devastating impacts for not only believers, but their friends and loved ones too. Um, It's been, I mean, entirely negative in terms of its impact. It has real impacts on families, right? It's that you're no longer simply a Democrat who disagrees with his mom who's a Republican, but the mom now believes that you are uh, working on behalf of Satan. 
what QAnon and similar belief systems did is it, it took what was fairly mundane political differences um, about abortion or what, what have you, and it elevated it to a kind of cosmic difference, right? Cosmic struggle and cosmic um, differentiation. And so now, if you, you, you know, you're no longer simply someone who disagrees with me, but you're a, a representative of evil, that you're now someone I need to fight against. And so we've seen parents cut off their children. We've seen siblings uh, cut each other off. We've seen a whole host of real world impacts, uh, real familial impacts of some of these belief systems because it's now become elevated to this evil versus good and truth versus false falsehood. But Dr. Hatley says the amount of misinformation out there can be almost insurmountable. It creates issues for people like herself who are trying to ensure information shared is based in science. She sees misinformation like a second virus that spreads and infects people. So the Ontario Medical Association commissioned a, a poll or a study of social media activity over, I think it was a 24-hour period. I can get you the actual statistics. And during that period, there was 105,000 people or hits discussing or touting conspiracies, toying with them. Let's use that term, conspiracy theory and misinformation. And of those 105,000 people, 76% of people were actually supporting misinformation and conspiracy theory or considering, seriously considering. And this, this was judged by the rhetoric being used by each individual tweet or Facebook post, etc., and only 24% of people were standing up for the truth or for what those of us in the established medical and scientific community consider to be the truth. So, you know, when you look at that, that's the extent of people considering misinformation on social media, you know we have a serious problem and we have to address it. We can't ignore it. And I know that social media is not indicative of the general population. There are many people who don't even engage in social media. And those people are less prone, although not immune, to exposure to conspiracy theory and misinformation. But even that we have the contingent on social media to that extent, adopting or considering adopting these perspectives is very concerning. People like Hatley will continue the fight against misinformation. But what is the most effective way to counter conspiracy theories? I'll take a look at what works and what doesn't in the next episode. Reporting and narration for this episode of COVID Conspiracies by Phil Tank. Additional reporting by Jacob Dubay. Our producers are Carson Jarama, Jacob Dubay, and Bryce Hall. Original music and artwork by Bryce Hall. I'm your host, Monique Bodang. Thanks for listening.